Father, thank you so much for blessing us with such an incredible opportunity to connect with you. Uh, God, thank you for the uh, worship in this place uh, that just points our focus to you. Thank you for the opportunity we have to to uh, corporately look at your word and see what you have to say to us, each one of us tonight. God, we recognize it is not by accident that you would have us all in this place. You have uh, brought us here, each one, for a specific thing that you want to whisper in our ear, maybe yell in our ears, but God, we want to be listening. And so we are letting you know right now, we acknowledge your presence in this place. We want to be sensitive to your spirit. God, in word and music, in Jesus' name, will you stand as we worship him? Oh, you know what? Thank you very much. I even brought my glasses up here and everything. You can stay standing. That's cool, because we're just that much more ready. In Luke chapter 2, verse 7, it says, And she gave birth to her firstborn a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. That's the verse that connects with the third candle of Advent. And as, uh, as, as we light that candle now, uh, yep, the McHugh family is going to step forward and, and light that candle. Uh, we remember uh, this uh, passage, and uh, specifically it is noted as the candle of joy. Certainly these shepherds found great joy in what they discovered in the manger. And so as we light this candle and consider joy and consider them worshiping, even as the angels worshiped God in the heavens, uh, may we continue and join our worship with those angels. So two weeks ago, we talked about Mary and we talked about her courage to step forward. Yeah, kids, you can go ahead and go to step forward in the midst of a lot of different fear fears that she had, um, some obvious, some implied, some behind the scenes. Um, and um, so th- tonight, we're going to take one more look at Mary. And this time, we're going to dive a little bit deeper into her heart. Um, and hopefully in that, uncover a little bit about our own hearts. The word heart is mentioned 743 times in the Bible, Um, and it's used in a variety of contexts. Sometimes it can seem a little confusing because at times heart is interchanged with uh, the word soul. Uh, Biblically speaking, though, the heart is really seen as the totality of who we are, Um, our emotions, our our intellect, our desires, our will. um, The words we speak flow out of our heart. Matthew 12, 34, the choices that we make flow out of our heart. In salvation, uh, Christ takes our dead heart of stone and gives us a new heart. John 1, 12, 13, Ezekiel 36, 26. Guarding our hearts, we'll look at that in a minute, is, express, is expressed in the, new te- in the Old and the New Testament. What about Mary's heart? Um, two uh, weeks ago, as we kicked off Advent, 
Again, we, we, we looked at how she trusted God, how she followed his will regardless of the cost, how she trusted his promises. Tonight, uh, as we look at Mary, we, we, we press on in the text beyond where we had stopped before, because I don't know if you remember this, if you were here with us, we stopped just short of the Magnificat. And uh, if, if you've been around church very much in different circles, you may have heard uh, church choirs sing this song that Mary expresses. Uh, you may have heard it uh, in a choir form or maybe in some orchestra arra- orchestral arrangement. Um, and, and, and really, it's, it's quite popular, whether it's Anglican or Protestant, uh, Christian, evangelical uh, churches, in some sort of way to include uh, the Magnificat inside of their worship services at this time of year. It is known as the Song of Mary. It's Mary's response to God, and she sings it right after Elizabeth makes that statement. You remember she says, uh, she says that she is basically so very impressed with Mary's faith that she is following after God, that, that, that her response is what it is. And uh, tonight, my prayer is that we really allow Mary's words inside of this prayer to uh, be used by God's Spirit to open up our own heart, to see what she has to say, because there's there are some really incredible things here as, as, as we look in, in Luke chapter 1. Uh, a little bit of context here. Let's regain the context. Luke 1, 30, 33. Uh, then the angel told her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now listen, you'll conceive and give birth to a son and will call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. Verse 38, Mary responds, I am the Lord's slave. May it be done to me again. May it be done to me according to your word. And then the angel left her. Then we have this moment where uh, Elizabeth exclaims, You are the most blessed of women. Your child will be blessed. How could this happen to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For you see, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped for joy inside of me. She who has believed is blessed because what was spoken to her by the Lord will be fulfilled. And that's where we stopped two weeks ago. And then ice Mageddon happened. And now we're back. Verse 46, Mary's song, Magnificat. And Mary said, my soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my savior, because he has looked with favor on the humble condition of his slave. Surely from now on, all generations will call me blessed because the mighty one has done great things for me and his name is holy. His mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear him. He has done a mighty deed with his arm. He has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. He has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, mindful of his mercy. And just as he spoke to our ancestors, to Abraham and his descendants forever. Within this song... We find a heart of worship. Mary's thoughts and actions are flowing from what really is internal, from what's coming inside of her. How do we know this? Uh, Because, uh, first of all, the the word that is actually descriptive of this song, it's the first word in the Latin Vulgate, uh, magnificent, magnificent. The HCSB that we have up on the screen actually translates it, proclaims. But the Greek word here is megaluno. 
And what that word is, is it's to cause to grow, to expand, to swell. And what she's saying is, my, my soul or my heart, my suke, in, that, that in, the, in, the, uh, in the Greek there would be basically what's flowing from outside of her. All that she is, all that she is, is expanding, is swelling with God, with God's presence, with a desire to worship him. The seat of her emotions and feelings and thoughts and affections, every part of who she is, as she is using, as the Bible is using these words to describe this prayer, it is saying, All that Mary is, is proclaiming his greatness from the inside out. And I, I think we trick ourselves sometimes, right? We trick ourselves and, and we go, well, you know, really it's, it's the outside that matters. I mean, that's what people really see. I mean, that's what God sees. And so we come in and, and, we, and we worship and we don't take a whole lot of consideration as to what's going on inside of our heart. I think that it's so easy for us to do to get so wrapped up in the show of the moment, and maybe miss that it's not really about our worship batting average, right? It's not really about our attendance record. Mary's heart of worship was also dynamic. Uh, she's basically saying here, my thoughts, my emotions, my feelings, my affections toward God are not the same as they were last week or last month or last year. My testimony is new, This is something brand new. I am not relying on yesterday's manna in teaching students over the years how to share their testimony. Sometimes it's kind of difficult, you know, because most of them don't have, you know, it it rarely do you, do you hear a student say, well, you know, I was a dope addict and, you know, you know, I was on the streets and, you know, in jail. And then, you know, when I, when I turned seven years old, I gave my life to Christ. You don't hear that testimony very often, right? Uh, and so kids that come to Christ oftentimes within the church think, well, well, what kind of testimony do I really have? And what we would share with them is, you know, listen, here's what's so very important. Whenever you talk to people about your faith, you tell them, what is the difference that Jesus is making in you right now? How does your story look now? Why is God relevant now? And in this song, Mary is expressing her current testimony. Verse 47, my spirit rejoices. Is Mary's spirit going to be just flying colors, thrilled, excited, pumped up all throughout the rest of her life? No, there were images on the screen a minute ago that did not have her in jubilation, right? At the foot of the cross, certainly not. The word used there says uh, the word rejoice is saying that she was overjoyed though in this moment with unspeakable gladness another word that describes i would say her worship in this moment is constant if you look at the verb usage here the whole verb we just talked about a minute ago meg megaluno is a verb that is present tense but is also expressing a continuous Continuous action to go on from here. We don't really have anything in our language, any type of verb tense that looks like this, where we say, I'm doing this and I'm going to continue doing this, unless I just say, I'm doing this and I'm going to continue to do this. But in this particular verb, how it's placed here in this song, that is what she's saying. She's saying, My soul magnifies the Lord and will go on magnifying 
the Lord. This is not a one-time thing. I am God's humble servant, and I feel like it right now, certainly. But you know, even when the times are hard, I am going to be magnifying the Lord. Inside out, dynamic, constant, and then finally, focused. Focused on God. The rest of this song expresses, historically, as this little teenage girl begins to showcase how God has shown up in his character throughout history and what he has done for others and uh, exalting himself in, through his character. Uh, she speaks about God's holiness and might and never changing and his reliability and his relational component, how he speaks to us and he's merciful and just and a provider. And she gives testimony to all these things inside of the song. We don't have time to dive into all that, but that's what's in this song of worship to God. And in this pivotal moment, Mary is worshiping God from the inside out with a dynamic and a constant heart. Her worship is fueled by her focus on who he is and all that he has done. And so the question is, what about us? Are our hearts in a condition to worship him this Christmas? To worship him in this moment? My thoughts go back to when I was in high school, I, um, I, I was a member of a, of a large church in Houston that did Christmas pageants, uh, First Baptist Houston. And, uh, and in my 10th, 11th, and 12th grade year, I was in that pageant, and I had a very important part. I was a part of the royal pr- procession, uh, which means I wore a really goofy outfit with a pointed hat, and I walked down the aisle from the very top of the auditorium down all of those three legs of auditorium that they had there, and uh, I walked in front of, uh, me and several other guys walked in front of one of the wise men, and so we had all types of things that we were holding, shields, spears, whatever, and this whole procession starts to uh, funnel down toward the stage where baby Jesus is, and Mary, and Joseph, and, and, and They've got animal, live animals in the moment. You've probably seen pageants like this. I think Preston would probably still does something like this. But uh, it's just, it just an amazing moment. I remember as a 10th grader, 11th, 12th grader, uh, 13 performances, right, over a two-week period of time. And just, you know, you just kind of put your life on hold doing this moment. And so uh, here, my, my big time, you know, I'm walking down, and, and, and I get all the way to, 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 the, to the front of the stage. And, and at this moment, everybody begins to, to bow down. And uh, it's just a a, a crazy moment. One of the moments that I remember the most is is actually a time when everybody bowed down. And as they were about to get back up, uh, the camel who had been bowing down, literally, along with everybody else on stage, as they turned him around, his his back legs fell off of the stage. And the orchestra pit was right here. And he started slamming into the stage. And the whole auditorium is dark. And you hear this camel going, whack, whack, whack. And clarinetists are like running. And music stands are falling. And camel blood is like squirting. And it's like, seriously, I mean, it's like, it is like one of the uh, 80s expression back then, raddest things this high school student had ever seen. Amazing, right? And so they're yanking on the camel to try to get him out of the orchestra pit. And it was just, it kind of spoiled the scene just a little bit, but I enjoyed it. (laughs) All 13 of those times, all 13, every time I came up those steps and turned and looked at baby Jesus, 
and bowed down with all those wise men, even though it wasn't historically correct. We know that. I had chills. 36 times over three years, every single time, all over my body. In that moment, every one of 300 actors and actresses and choir members and all the audience, three, 4,000 people all focused in at this baby. And I just thought, does my heart feel like that every time I wake up in the morning? No. (laughs) I would like it to. To bow at the feet of Jesus and have a complete focus and attention on him. that's, that's, That's Christmas. Right? That's that's this moment. Band was practicing this song, and I, I got him. I got him change things up a little bit, so we could do this song right now, because I, I hit these words in this verse: "Bow in your presence, surrounded by angels beaming, a Savior has come, a candle to lead us, a flame to destroy the darkness, the light of your love, Messiah has come." And we recognize that she's got a heart that's worshiping the king. God cares about the condition of our heart, whether it's Old Testament, New Testament. In Old Testament, Deuteronomy 6, 5, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Mark 12, 30, New Testament, Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. He cares about it so much that he reminds us in Proverbs, right, to uh, make sure that we care for our heart, that we guard our heart. I want you to imagine with me for a moment that you're with maybe an an elderly parent or grandparent, and it's in the very last moments of their life on this earth. And in those final few seconds, they pull you close And they say a few words and then they say, above all else. You think you're listening? I think so. I think whether it's a coach on the field at halftime and the team is close and the game is close and he pulls the starters aside and says, above all else. Or whether or not it's the son who's going off to college and he's getting in the car and it's the last box and his dad is putting that box in for him and he puts his hand on his shoulder and he says, son, above all else, can I just tell you, those three words are reserved for very special moments that we should tune into that are unlike any other. And in this passage here in Proverbs chapter 4, 23, above all else, all of a sudden, up. Ears perked up. Guard your heart. Guard your heart, for it is the source of life. Guard. How do we do that? How do we guard our heart so that we really can have a heart like Mary in these moments, in all moments of life? 
where we're bowing before the king set with a proper perspective, I think that uh, it gets more and more challenging, especially even in these times of, of the year, you know, when we're supposed to be so focused on Jesus, and yet we can get so distracted by everything else that's supposedly all about him. And it, it, it's interesting, you know, I think about guarding things. I, I remember my very first brand new car, um, this, this Ford Explorer that I purchased back in 1994. And I remember guarding it. Just, I, I don't know if you ever had that experience, maybe with the very first car you ever owned. And it's like, I, I remember like parking far away in parking lots because I just thought a ding would be awful. It would be like sacrilege on this Explorer, right? Be awful. And I, I, remember, I remember going uh, to, to, to such great extent to wipe everything down and, and protect it at all costs, you know. And, and if I were to be completely honest with you, uh, the, the, the first several moments of that time with that car, uh, wow, those first few months, uh, I protected that thing probably far more than there are moments of my life where I would have protected my heart. And then I remember driving that car to Colorado for a family trip and a particular relative in my family, okay, well, it was my mom, left a bunch of Diet Cokes in the car and it got well below freezing and they all exploded. And I came back outside the next morning and there were Coke icicles hanging everywhere inside of that car that I had so protected and, 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 and I remember just thinking, life's over. <laughs> the, the car that I parked far away, <laughs> far, far away, <laughs> now has stalactites and stalagmites of like Diet Coke and inside is awful. I, I didn't guard it very well that night. I didn't make sure that what was inside wasn't going to destroy it. How do, we do, how do we guard our, our heart? This, these last few minutes that we're going to spend together before the band comes up and lead us in this worship, I, I, I want to I read through some verses on the heart. Um, Philippians 4, 7 says, And the peace of God which suppresses every thought will guard our hearts and minds in Christ. Okay, well, that gives us a little bit of help, doesn't it? I mean, New Testament-wise, what Paul is saying is, he's saying, well, uh, I've got an answer for you. I mean, it says guard your hearts in, in Proverbs 4, but how do you do that? Switch over to New Testament. Okay, well, it's the peace of God found in Christ. Uh, that, that guard your hearts there is in the middle, but if you take it out, what he's saying is the peace of God in Christ is what is used to guard our hearts. Who guards our heart? Jesus. How does he do that? If we know him as Savior, the Spirit of God lives in us. One of his roles is to guard our heart. And as that guard, our our role then is to allow him to do his job. And so maybe the better question is, am I impeding the work that God wants to do in me? Even as the protector, am I submitting to his control? Am I surrendering to his work in me? Because if so, God's ability to guard my heart and God's ability to guard your heart through his son, Jesus Christ, and the work, the indwelling work of his spirit in us is perfect. I, I, brought, I brought a couple of things here that, um, that might, might help, help us with some symbolism uh, I, got, I, got some, I got some purifiers here, all right? Um, we got this old air purifier, 
and uh, I got this one right here pulled from my attic, and uh, you know, we, we change these out all the time, you know, and they keep getting more and more fancy, which means they just wind up costing a whole lot more, right? I remember changing these out, and it was like a buck something, you know, and now you buy one, it's like $20, I'm like, what? This should last me for like the rest of my life, surely. And now they say, well, no, actually, the fancier they are, the more often you've got to uh, change them out. Well, that, that's even worse, you know, that seems like it's going backwards. And so there's electromagnetic and, and coal and, you know, change out with what... And, and we use filters for all kinds of things. And we got filters for, our, uh, uh, for, for the cabin of our car. We've got filters that we put uh, around our, our homes. We've got them in our HVAC. We've got them all over. And they're designed to do what? They're designed to make sure that there are uh, things that are trying to get to us. Pollutants, uh, toxins, uh, particles, and they're not good. They are the enemy. And they keep them away. I would go so far as to say that we also have an enemy who is like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He is on the attack of our heart to render us useless, to render us impotent. And our faith, as the front of your worship folder says, is under attack. And regardless of the things our, around our house that are under attack, we are, are regarding them. We stick filters in and, and do the very best that we can to guard. And, and, and for some, we may say, well, you know, we do a pretty good job. Our house is a pretty clean environment. But the question is, what about our heart? Are they protected and clean and pure so that we can really live? And you say, okay, well, wh- why go there, Randy? Why, why speak about that? I mean, on Christmas, really. Because filtered hearts do a few things. First, they protect against physical pollutants. Matthew 6.21 about our heart says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You see, uh, what is that verse saying? It's saying, what I treasure is where my affections and thoughts and feelings. And I mean, you see, if I treasure stuff, then that's where my thoughts go. If I treasure me, then that's where my thoughts go. I'm focused on self-preservation. I think things are often not fair. But if, if I treasure the Savior, my life is in a completely different trajectory. The stuff of this earth, the physical stuff around us can easily become the pollutants of our heart. Even during, during Christmas. Stirring us away, steering us away from where they are designed to be and what they are designed to do, which is to worship the Savior. Filtered hearts not only protects against the physical, but it also protects against the mental Psalm 119, 9 and 10 says, How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping your word. I have sought you with all my heart. Don't let me wander from your commands. I have treasured your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. So here's a question. How's that working out for you? I mean, we're just bombarded with so much and our families are and media and stuff and whatever. You say, well, that that, that music doesn't really impact my heart. Those images don't really impact my heart. I mean, can can I just say, and and listen, I'm I'm not the Holy Spirit for anybody. I'm not 
Mr. Legalism pastor up here, but what, what I will tell you is I think sometimes we get caught up in a top-of-the-charts mentality or, well, it's art and it's wonderful and, you know, and, and God is creative. He's a creative God. He's done creative things, and I, I, I get all of that. But I think if we were to take a 30,000-foot perspective and look down, it seems kind of crazy sometimes, doesn't it, that we end up oftentimes laughing at what God weeps at. That we become so very content and satisfied with what he ends up sending wrath upon in the Scripture. I, I, I think mentally... We've got to be real careful. And how do we do that? By making sure that there's a filter on our heart that Jesus is operating, that the Spirit of God is there showing us, leading us through this expanse of all these ways in which pollutants can come in and contaminate the heart designed to worship Him. Third, filtered hearts protect against relational pollutants. Matthew 12, 34, for the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. How many of us have gotten into trouble in the last month with something that we've said? We could all raise our hand, right? With a spouse, with a child, with a parent, with a coworker, with a neighbor, with, I don't know, with somebody. It makes sense then that when God looks at our mouth, he reminds us of things like Ephesians 4.29, no foul language is to come from your mouth, but only what is good for building up someone in need so that it gives grace to those who hear. Philippians 4.8, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence and if there is any praise, dwell on these things. So if the filter of the Spirit is in place in my life, what's going to happen? Griping, gone, complaining, gone, entangling myself in the affairs of others, gone, taking on the offense of somebody, gone. Ah, a filtered heart is good for the holidays, isn't it? <laughs> Finally, filtered hearts prepare us for Christmas because Matthew 5, 8 just simply says, when our heart is pure, we see him. You know why this is a big deal? Because I think God is at work all around us. And when our heart is polluted with other thoughts and people and desires and affections, it's difficult to see him at work. And you know what that means? It's difficult for us to join in his work. And, and why else did he leave us here? But to be a part of this incredible mission. And how silly for us to, how silly for Randy to get my heart so very polluted that I am incapable of seeing him so that I can join in on what he's up to. I mean, that's why I'm here. That's why you're here. So, closing. How does a filter work? First of all, you got to have it. You know, I bought this. Now, somebody could have given it to me. Now, in terms of salvation, right, God gives us the gift, but we still have to receive it. Romans 10, 9 and 10, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One believes with the heart, with all that I am resulting in righteousness, and one confesses with the mouth resulting in salvation. A filter works when I have it. Okay, I am connected to you, God, from now till forever. We're on the right page. We've got it. Number two, 
filter works when I keep it clean. Now, this is where the analogy breaks down a little bit, depending on the filter, right? Because for a lot of them, we just toss them. But for some of them, like the one in here, we can actually take the one out of here and clean it off and put it back in. This particular passage, Psalm 51.10, God create a clean heart for me and renew a steadfast spirit within me. What is, what is the psalmist saying? He's saying, God, by your spirit, show me what is there so that I can confess it and repent and move on. No, this is not about getting saved again. But it's being sensitive to the sin that so easily entangles us. How do we do that? How does the Holy Spirit get to working inside of us so that that filter is clean, so that we're able to worship? Uh, it's, it's connecting with the Word. It's connecting with, you know, Jesus is called the Word. It's connecting with the Word in here, in this. Psalm 119.11, I have treasured your Word in my heart so that I may not sin against you. Psalm 119.105, your Word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. in our lives, protecting. And then finally, it's all about following the directions, right? I mean, there's a little arrow right here. It says airflow, right? So I know, I know how to put it in correctly or incorrectly, right? Following the directions. What does that mean for us in our life? That means that I'm not only connecting with him and allowing him to show me and lead me and guide me, but, but I really am allowing him to do that through obedience, through putting the filter in the correct way, through walking with him. Psalm 119, 30. I have chosen the way of truth. I have set your ordinances before me. I cling to your decrees. Lord, do not put me to shame. I pursue the way of your commands, for you broaden my understanding. Verse 168. I obey your precepts and decrees, for all my ways are before you. There's a 19-year-old West German computer analyst who took a single-engine Cessna in 1987, May 29th. His name was Matthias Rust. He flew from Helsinki, Finland, 400 miles into Moscow. He buzzed Lenin's tomb and landed his plane right beside the Kremlin Wall. He went through the most, occupied, he went through the most guarded airspace in the world, on the very day that the Russians celebrate Border Guards Day. And at 7.30 in the morning, that morning, he landed. And one of our U.S. officials made this statement. This puts a hole right through the myth of invincibility and impenetrability. The next day, Gorbachev fired his defense minister. And he was quoted as saying, If one man can do that, how much longer will even the Berlin Wall stand? 1987. We think that we are so invincible. We think that we are so impenetrable. Or at least we act like we do. We act like we are. But really, our hearts are they're capable of being penetrated by the enemy. Our salvation, no, our salvation is secure. We're secured in his hand. But can we become polluted by the world? Absolutely. Can our affections get so skewed and mixed up that we miss seeing him and bowing before him at the manger? Absolutely. So easy. 
So the question is, am I going to allow tomorrow and the next day and the next day the Spirit of the Lord through His Word to wash over me so that I really can see Him, so that I can have pure heart and I can see Him and be in on His work. The band's going to come, and as they do, a couple of verses that you can talk to God about your heart with. You ready? Listen to these. They're on the screen. Psalm 139, you can say this. You start this out tonight, maybe. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my concerns. See if there is any offensive way in me. Lead me in the everlasting way. Psalm 19, 14, another great verse to read in your time alone with him. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let's pray. God, thank you for reminding us tonight just how important it is to allow you to the, allow the peace of God through Jesus Christ to guard us. God, thank you for being our peace. Thank you for being our salvation. Thank you for being our joy. Thank you for the reminder of that candle as we kicked off the service tonight that we can have a joy in you. And God, in our worship this week, not just in this service, but God, in our worship this week, of all the things that we could worship this week, God, may we worship you because we live with a pure heart, So that just as your son said, when we have that pure heart, we can see you. When we see you, God, we can be involved in your work. We can put a smile on your face. And we can point everybody around us back to you. Thank you, God, for meeting us in this moment. As we worship, you have an opportunity to come and take communion, to give, to bow before him to be still, allow him to search your heart so that we might see him.